Friends, welcome to Spirit Seekers. Today is March 26th, 2021. My name is Lucy Samara, and I serve First Congregational Church of Burlington, Vermont. United Church of Christ is our communications coordinator and host of Spirit Seekers. And uh, today I'm very happy to welcome Doug Beeman, who will be our Spirit Seeker today. The purpose of this gathering is to, um, here I'm letting somebody in. The purpose of this gathering is to help us uh, build community uh, for people to take uh, sharing their uh, faith story, life, life journey, faith journey, life story, highlights that they want to. And for all of us to reflect as we get to know each other better, how we can all grow in faith and not just learn from, um, I, one, one of the things I found is I'm not just learning from that individual person who's speaking, but their reflections about other people in their lives and the important roles that those people play. And I, I found that to be um, inspiring along with the, the stories that we've heard. Um, there, um, most weeks we're able to make a podcast uh, with the recording and the podcast um, is available through the First Church Burlington uh, website. So uh, Doug, I'm really pleased to welcome you here and, and just to open, um, Oh, and of course, everybody but Doug and I are muted during the interview part. So just to remind you to mute yourselves. Thank you. And welcome, Thea. Hi. So I just want to open with a sense of, um, of gratitude. Um, many of us are starting to get vaccinated or have had our vaccines. And um, as I had said earlier to folks, I had my second one yesterday and I'm, I'm feeling some of the effects of that. And, and I also feel the mixed feelings of all of the privilege that we have to uh, have such access to such excellent care here. And um, I'm just praying that the, the global access to the vaccine will continue to expand. And um, as we go into the summer, hopefully um, more and more uh, of the world will be vaccinated and, and people can go back to their normal lives. But for today, I'm grateful to be here with you and grateful to introduce you to Doug in a whole new way. So uh, one of the things Doug and I found out right away is that uh, we grew up pretty close to each other. Most of Doug's childhood was in, uh, a good part of it was in Andover, uh, Massachusetts. And um, I went to a school near Andover and we we know some people in common, so that was kind of a good thing. But Doug, if you could just uh, start us off with um, some reflections about uh, about your growing up time um, and uh, what what role church played for you as you were growing up. Sure. Well, first of all, I was actually born in Mary Hitchcock Hospital in, in uh, Hanover, New Hampshire, because that's where my mother worked. Uh, commuting from Springfield to Vermont, where we were living at the time. So when I was five, we moved from Springfield to Andover, Mass. And um, I think at that point is when my parents started church hunting. And then we ended up at the uh, West Parish Church in Andover, which was a UCC church um, built. Um, it was actually the uh, oldest 
church building in Andover, but not the oldest congregation because it had switched congregations at some point. But um, uh, Andover was uh, incorporated in 1696. So that tells you, you know, it's an early Boston, early outside of Boston community. But um, church life was was big. I um, I was a Boy Scout, and the Boy Scout troop was in our church, and um, the youth group um, started youth group stuff when I was pretty small. I guess I remember we did a a play um, that I it was probably it's the only play I've ever been in, and and it only you know we put it on once, and that was it. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and, but it had adults, you know, my parents were in it. I was in it. Um, I was probably seven. Um, and we were, and I don't remember the words at all, but we, but I remember that we sang this sort of, um, uh, I don't know, subversive song to the tune of, um, uh, the church's great foundation, and it was. Uh, it was <laughs> anyway, I, I don't. Remember. It was something about rolling dice and all sorts of things, but I don't remember the words very much. And um, but anyway, so uh, I think that might have cured me of my theater uh, wanting to be on stage. Um, and uh, but um, youth group was was really strong uh, there. The um, because the church was very close to Andover Newton in you know proximity and shared the Andover name, um, all our youth uh, ministers, youth leaders were all Andover Newton students. And there was always one, sometimes two. Um, and uh, they were, uh, you know, they were just uh, a, a big part of my life. Uh, you know, they were my mentors uh, for a lot of my life as, as well as one of my, scout leaders who um was uh, a really good friend um he actually helped us start an explorer scout um troop after we sort of aged out of boy scouts and you know worked our way through the system and we were the first co-ed explorer troop in the country uh, wow dag which was kind of fun that's um, progressive yeah yeah that and our troop leader was gay <laughs> he couldn't say that to the <laughs> but we all know he was and um so so anyway ch church um you know and and the leaders in the church were, were very strong one of the um the pastor that i really sort of connected with most uh was otis maxfield and um and his son-in-law actually was one of the youth leaders at one point and uh, actually I ran into, and I, I'm blanking on the son-in-law's name at the moment, but I ran into him about 10 years ago at, at uh, some church event that Ann and I were attending. Church, the UCC also has an architects fellowship. And mm -hmm. so Ann and I joined that and traveled around to different churches around the country. And one of them happened to be in, in a church that Otis Maxfield had served later He's since passed away, but then in a different one, um, I think it was in Albuquerque, um, we ran into his son-in-law um, and sort of caught up for a little bit. But 
anyway, so those, I, I want to uh, sort of walk you through that you you have a great youth program story that I want to share with people because I think it'll really inspire people's imaginations. But before we do that, I just want to go back to have you talk about your parents a little bit because yes. your parents are real, really can do people and uh, had interesting lives. And if you could just give us synopsis of, of each of them. Mm-hmm. As we already know that your mother, she, she was driving quite a distance, right? Yes, yeah. Springfield to uh, the Hanover was a little over an hour drive. Um, she was doing that in the early 50s um, in an old Chevy. And, um, you know, that was her commute. My dad worked down the hill at Jones and Lampson and just walked down the hill to work. And uh, so, and and my mother... Uh, this was her second career. Um, she actually had a PhD in bio in um, uh, biochemical biochemistry, and uh, was on the team that helped isolate DNA for the first time while she was in grad school. And um, and then she got married, and you know left the scientific field, um, and I guess had enough um, nursing background in her medical studies to get her PhD that um, she got accepted to be a nurse at uh, and maybe she had to take a test I don't know uh, get a get a certificate but she uh, um, yeah yes she definitely did have to do something but um, a woman on the team that isolates DNA that does this huge she's like well I'm getting married and I'm gonna have Doug (laughs) (laughs) and a couple of other kids and Um, and be a nurse. And, um, know, yeah. So that was her second career. And then then when I was five, we moved to Massachusetts. My dad was working for Bell Labs, um, working on computer systems, you know, developing um, computing. Um, I actually have a, a diamond that he made that's about that big. That's not quite a diamond. The reason he has it is it's only quartz. They were making, they were, he was on a team that was learning how to make uh, fake diamonds that could be used in, um, in electronics. And some of them failed. We got a failure somewhere around. And, um, and then my mother went back to school and got another degree in teaching. And she ended up, she was substitute teaching um, physics in the high school science, different sciences. Uh, when I was in high school, she actually taught a physics class. Um, but at the same time, starting when I was in grade school, she, um, was asked by somebody else to join in town, um, teaching, uh, preschool. And she ended up running that preschool when that person retired, Mrs. Runyon, I remember her name. Um, she retired and, um, and my mother ran that school for another 20 years. I think um, your mother pretty much could have done anything. If somebody <laughs> said, you know, we really just want you to run for president, she would have said, okay. Well, she was the <laughs> chair of the school board for a while too. But uh, uh, and, and just <laughs> a little other snippet of her, Doug, what did she do to relax? Oh, she smoked a cigar. She smoked Cuban cigars. <laughs> um, not often. It was sort of celebration days, Christmas and New Year, you know, Christmas and birthdays, anniversaries, things like that. And I remember I I don't smoke cigars because when I was very young, I picked up a lit one from an ashtray and almost I think I did get sick <laughs> after taking a drag. Uh, but, uh, you know, she was uh, 
Yeah, my mother was definitely a can-do. So was my dad. Um, he eventually started his own business um, in computers, uh, computer programming, and then sold his business to Texas Instruments when uh, he decided to retire at age 67. So um, they they were definitely can-do. They, um, they were sailors. I'm a sailor. Uh, we did a lot of hiking and and camping. Um, nature was a, a, you know, we, we lived, um, I, I could walk out the back, the back door and there was 20 acres of private land that abutted Harold Parker State Forest. And so I could just spend my time in the woods and the fields and, and the ponds. And, um, and my parents took us on trips, you know, our vacations, a lot of them were camping and, and doing things. Um, I didn't tell Lucy, but we climbed Mount Katahdin um, when my twin sisters were five and I was 10 and my other sister was eight. And I was the one who got to the top that time. And then 30 years later, my sister organized another trip. And at this point, my mother was uh, in remission from uh, multiple myeloma. Um, and so she didn't make it to the top the second time, but um, but all my sisters were there and we all got to the top. My dad got to the top again. And uh, so that was sort of the, the, the full cycle of our family outings. Uh, <laughs> that was, that was good. And, but yeah, so, so service, you know, the, the, um, the youth group service was a big thing. Um, my family service, my, they, my parents were on the, board to start an organization called the ABC program. It stands for a better chance. Mm -hmm. I don't know if any of you are familiar with that, but it brings um, students from the deep South, basically underprivileged areas of the country into um, high schools that, you know, are considered sort of top of the line schools. And there's a, they usually live in a house together, but then on the weekends, they, they live with uh, families. And so we were the host family for a couple of those students. And my, as I said, my parents were organizing it. One of the first memories I have of actually helping build things was working in that house, you know, tearing down walls and putting up wallpaper and, you know, all those kinds of things that I could do when I was, you know, 12, 15 years old. And, yeah, uh, I think you definitely grew up in it with a life with Boy Scouts and church and your family and the the kinds of interests, diverse interests that your parents had and the problem solving kind of perspective they brought to their lives and their work and that they let you put your get your hands dirty, you know, and it, it's not a surprise <laughs> that you you have so many practical skills, Doug. And my the, mother I mean, loved snakes, think you know, think of what, how many women love snakes. <laughs> <laughs> snakes and cigars. <laughs> they, 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 were, they were a science project. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this youth group, you were linked to other congregations and you had some interfaith experiences. And, it, and that, I, if you could just share a little bit about that sure. so that people get yeah. a feeling for the flavor of that. Yeah, the... Uh, I'm not sure which one of our um, Anniver Newton students figured this out, but they they got um, five churches uh, sort of connected, and there was a, 
a church in Roxbury, um, which was a black church. I'm pretty sure it was a Baptist, black Baptist church in Roxbury. There was a uh, synagogue in Springfield, New Jersey, uh, UU Church in Western Massachusetts, our church in Andover, Mass, and then a small church in rural Maine that was also a UCC church. And the five churches um, would alternate uh, which years, um, it would alternate having everybody come to that church uh, for a, basically a convention um, of youth. And there were you know, 150 or more kids that would show up at these things um, and uh, stay in each other's houses, you know, with, and, and part of the program, it was, while I was part of the program, it was middle school and high school. Um, and not everybody traveled each time, but I was part of the program when it was at our church twice. And I remember the older, when I was older, I think I was 16 or 17 when it was there the second time. And, um, and we were part of the planning that, uh, people would arrive on a Thursday night and the, the youth would do a lot of the planning and organizing of the worship services and, and the other events. So there was a Friday night and a, a Saturday Actually, they'd arrive on a Friday. That's right. Uh, so there's a Friday night um, service, a Saturday night service that was planned. And then um, everyone would take part in the Sunday, the usual Sunday service. And then there was sort of a Sunday afternoon thing and everyone would disappear. And I remember the organizing the Friday night service. There's a West Paris Church has a, a gorgeous ancient cemetery that's surrounded by a six foot high stone wall. I think it's 400 acres. Um, this is like green rolling hills, mature yeah. trees. I, yeah. um, I, I paved was road there a couple of years ago. It <laughs> is beautiful. Um, there's a stone chapel that was built in the 1830s. That's um, in the middle of the sanctuary, in the middle of the cemetery. Uh, it's got this huge Roman arch that you go through to enter it with big iron gates. But part of the cemetery is sort of on the top of the hill. There's this almost football field sized green area with um, a walking path around it, very meditative space. And it's been reserved as a place with no graves. And, um, and so we had our evening service there. And, and I remember it pretty well because it was my job to light the four fires that were at the four corners of the field. Um, so that the, these, because um, this was not during the summer we did this, it was usually in the fall, so it could be cold. Um, but it was, I just remember it being a beautiful night with stars straight ahead and the four fires around, or straight up, and then the four fires around, and a couple hundred people gathered around. A lot of the parents would show up with the local kids too, plus the chaperones. Yeah, I really like this idea of um, kids from different roots in their faith, but gathering together, getting to know each other and having the chance to meet repeatedly. Um, just, you have to share the story about the bar mitzvah. And discussing, yeah, discussing uh, religion. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was the next year because I had my Nehru jacket and I had that when I graduated from high school. So um, I think it was the next year we went to the, the uh, synagogue down in, um, in New Jersey, and one of the one of the kids who was a friend of mine at the time, um, I, I think it was his older brother who was a friend of mine. Actually, 
um, and he decided to have his bar mitzvah while that weekend when these other, you know, 150 or so kids would show up and we were all invited. <laughs> so, so first of all, it, it was a big congregation um, and a big synagogue. So it was going to be a big bar mitzvah anyway, but to have, and he had the bar mitzvah at the church and I was staying at their house too. So after the bar mitzvah was over, um, I didn't tell Lucy this, but we went back and, and the parents shared the Manischewitz around the table with everybody. Because <laughs> I guess that's part of the rite of passage is you get to drink the Manischewitz after you've had your bar mitzvah, even I'm, though I'm, I'm sure it was 13 just years a, old or something. <laughs> what, what, a, what a great party. Doug, for you, uh, you know, when you think back to being a teenager, did you have a, you know, obviously church is really a part of your, your life, your family's life. Um, you have a real connection with nature through scouts and your family. Did you have a sense of God? When do, when do you think you started to have a, a feeling of faith yeah. and belief? Um, I, I think there was, I, I don't remember a time when I didn't think that there must be some sort of higher power because things were, you know, there were so many unanswered questions. <laughs> mm -hmm. um and things are so beautiful you know when you get up on the top of a mountain and it, you, you wake up at midnight to get out of the tent and there's just you know awe all around you um it's just um it's uh, you know i i guess i've always had doubts that you know it's it's a being this higher power um other than you know than a, a presence versus a being um, it, it's, uh, I don't know anyone who could really define it, you know, hard, hard knowing, not, not seeing. Um, but, um, I think that, that there's always in my life been, been a, uh, an understanding that, that, um, you know, we, we really can't do this alone. Um. Mm -hmm. And whether it's it's a, a community effort of people or or you know some other um, some other push we're being given <laughs> that, mm -hmm. that we can't uh, can't quite quantify, um, I think I've always known that that's out there, and I I don't know whether it was through church or or my parents or my friends who most of my friends. I made through church also, um, you know, the, the friends I still have that are very close are those that I made when I was in scouts and church and high school and followed through. Um, there's three of them. One of them's Jewish. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that was a scout kind of, you know, uh, contact. Um, well, it's, it, it's wonderful that you had, you had so many opportunities. When did you start singing, Doug? So I know one of the things that Evelyn Kwanzaa said at one point, she was talking to some kids and we were together and she said, you know, singing is the, it's you're, you're praying another time. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to stop singing, I want to know when you're going to fit in that, that yeah. extra praying. <laughs> well, I, I was, I was in that, you know, little kitty choir and um, graduated the youth choir and went all the way up through all the choirs and in church. Um, I only sang in church. I didn't, singing you know any chorus at 
school or anything. It was, it was a church thing that I did. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I think it was, I, I actually, I remember walking into the first rehearsal, which, which was actually not a rehearsal. It was, um, Oh, what do you call it when you walk in and it uh, and they decide whether or not you're good enough to sing? What do you call that? Oh, a tryout. <laughs> yeah, it's like the tryouts, but there's a name for it with a choir. I don't, anyway, um, and I remember how you know being really nervous and and what I remember was I was about eye level with the keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> so that's about that's when I started. However old you are, when you're that high. <laughs> So we're gonna we're gonna come back to some of that, but I um, you're an architect. Um, mm-hmm. You ended up going to the Rhode Island School of Design to prepare yourself for that. Where how what are the roots of of that career for you? Mm-hmm. Are there connections um, between your faith and and that work? But how did how did that get started for you? So yeah, so there's an interesting connection that I didn't talk about with you the other day. The Grange Hall that I talked about that my mm-hmm. dad had me draw when I. Um, I, it was right, it was in the church's backyard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the, the church and the Grange Hall, the, you know, the Grange Hall was probably built on church grounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, for those who don't know, a Grange Hall is, is sort of a community hall before we had town halls. And it was where town meeting was held, but also where the farmers got together to, you know, figure out who was going to grow and buy and sell what. But, um, yeah, I, I started drawing buildings uh, or shapes and, and stuff when I was in middle school. And um, I just really love to draw uh, that kind of stuff. And um, my dad got involved in trying to figure out what to do with the old Grange Hall and came home from one of those meetings and said, here, Doug, you want to start, you want to draw up some ideas for me? Um, my dad had a mechanical engineering background, so we had all the tools in the house to draw with, didn't have to go out and find them. I think I might still have that sitting in the corner over here, his original drawing board. And, um, and I just saw, um, I, I sort of knew really early, I started drawing buildings and, um, and figured out that, that a profession as an architect in, in my mind was a, a service um, kind of like doctors and ministers or wherever else it was it's a it was a way to serve people and help people and I think that really tied into the you know all the service lessons that I, I got and all the experiences that I got doing community service um, uh, it was one thing that the youth group did there was always a community service element it wasn't like our youth going off for a week it might be just two hours doing something on those weekends Mm -hmm. but there was always a community service element as well as all the conversations and talking about kids thing things kids talk about as well as the way that the leaders led us to talk about Mm -hmm. uh social issues of the time um and how that tied into our faith and things like that so Mm -hmm. i think a lot of that was just understanding the complexity of, of humanity, the way, you know, sort of the butterfly flapping wing theory, you know, everything you do can have consequences. And so you better think about what those are before you do them. And I think that got drilled into us all in that youth group um, 
there were some uh, some some lessons learned, people's mistakes that were made that we all learned from, mm-hmm. and um, we're not. It was a very liberal place, so those kinds of things weren't swept under the rug and hidden. They were brought to light and talked about. Um, the minister's affair at one point was one of those things. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, uh, so, you know, those were, it was a pretty open, open way to, to learn and, and I think was very formative in lots of ways. One of the things that I really valued about um, church and youth work was that kids were in a setting that had as far as I could tell, just no competitive angle on Mm -hmm. it. Um, So different from academics and sports and, um, you know, other settings, not only were were we focused on service and faith and the the big unanswered questions and the, you know, beautiful ancient stories of the Bible, but in a setting where it's just naturally collaborative. Yes. And uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, that's something I, I really value about it. So you went to the Rhode Island School of Design. This is a big deal to get into that school, Doug, and mm-hmm. to, you know, to to be accepted and and to go there. Was it the right place for you? Oh yes, it was. Um, yeah, I had applied to a bunch of schools, and RISD was the only one I got into without being on a waiting list. And uh, uh, RISD had a pass fail system. There was no ABC grades. Um, and one of the things that I you know, discovered you know, when I was there was that meant that your relationship with the professors was, was really important because they needed to know enough about you to be able to write something that was meaningful. And so the really the, the good professors, and most of them were this way, would, um, would make an effort to get to know you. Um, and so you weren't just in class and then you were gone. There were, there were a couple of classes like the history class with 250 people at, at eight o'clock in the morning <laughs> with your two cups of coffee and you know 30 slides that you'd fall asleep watching. That, that was different. Um, you got a pass just for showing up and that, but, but the design courses and the, um, you know, the literature, poetry, the, all these courses that, that uh, were, where you were really interacting with and doing group projects, uh, going on field trips, things like that. Um, it was, uh, as Lucy said, collaboration was a big thing at, at college too. And um, group projects, teaching you how to solve problems together, um, but also relationships and and building those relationships, not with just your peers, but but with the, the professors um, there's one professor who we still, Ann and I both still t- stay in touch with. Um, he actually was up here visiting about three years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, uh, you know, it was, it was a big part of, of, uh, learning about a continuation, I guess, of, of learning about the way the world works. And, and, and it was the way I sort of expected things to work collaboratively and, and, um, uh, and having fun doing it, um, it was it wasn't a slog through college for me. It was uh, it was five years of of a great time, and 
I mean, it really sounds like you found the right match. And you yeah. you also met Anne there. And I uh, met Anne there. Yeah. Anne and I, Anne transferred in. And um, actually, I was dating a girl on her floor. Um, she was a, a uh, floor counselor. And um, and I lived outside the dorms. And I was dating a girl on her. Well, I, I shouldn't say dating. I, we went out twice. Um, we shared a birthday. And um, she was, you know, a couple... I, I guess I was a junior and she was a freshman at that point. And somehow we were, we were sure we were in a class together at some point, found out we had the same birthday and we went out a couple of times. And after the second date, I was walking down the corridor and Anne's door was open and Anne was in a couple of my classes. And uh, I don't know, Lucy, I didn't share this with you before, but I think, I think I've shared it in the past. Um, I knocked on the door and Anne answered and, and I said to sort of popped out of my mouth. I said, so what do you think about life, love, and sex? And Anne said, I don't know. Come in. We'll talk about it. Jeez, oh, Doug. <laughs> Come into my dorm room. <laughs> well, she left the door. Oh, gosh. That's awesome. Ah. So, so I, I, part of the story that Anne has shared in other settings, and, and Doug reflected it right back, and Doug, how many times did you propose? Oh, uh, at least three. <laughs> <laughs> so we just, we just yeah. want to get that clear. Yeah, after college, I, I moved to Maine and Anne was still in Massachusetts. And after six months or so, she moved to Vermont, uh, to Starksboro. She was living in Starksboro. And, um, and at this point, I think I had proposed once already before I was out of college. And she graduated a year ahead of me. And um, and then we sort of separated, but I would come visit here and she'd come visit me in Maine every once in a while. And um, there was uh, actually the guy who's now a neighbor at our office had a, uh, a house sort of halfway between here and Maine. And he was mm -hmm. a UVM professor and he'd uh, spend the, house, the summers there in that farmhouse. And at one point, for some reason, I don't know why, it became a uh, one. I guess Anne suggested we we meet there instead of, you know, drive the full five hours each way. Um, so we met there and stayed the weekend there, and it was there that she actually said yes. <laughs> well, it was about time. <laughs> yeah. oh, um, I know, Doug, when you when you got out of college yourself, you were in Maine and you just did some, um, I guess you and two friends, you bought a truck, you you ended well, up buying a building and my, yeah, my my uh, one of my my Jewish friend from from my youth, from Boy Scouts and high school, um, had gone to Colby and he was in pre-med. And uh, we both graduated the same same year and uh, it was 1977 i don't know if jimmy carter recession and um, i couldn't find a job anywhere and spencer was hemming and hawing about going on to more school and we were talking on the phone one day and he said you know i've got uh, a college professor up here who was asking looking around for somebody to do some design and building work why don't we start a design build firm and just you know stop trying to find work and just make it ourselves. And um, 
he asked another friend up. I said, sounds like a great idea. There really should be three of us. And um, to make a good team, a carpentry team and uh, a crew. And he, um, so he found another friend up there. And I, my deal was that I'd buy it. I'd arrive with a pickup truck and uh, they'd provide the place to stay and get, get things going. And, and that one job turned into many others for so for two years we were very busy we bought um after a few months we bought a uh a, a foreclosure house we went in and we put a thousand dollars down and we're told we paid too much to assume the mortgage and uh and i think the mortgage was 104 dollars a month for a duplex and we renovated one half of it and lived in the other and then flipped and then rented it out and bought another one. And so we were doing that at the same time we were doing these other projects, renovating offices, and we built a house for somebody. And so we got a lot done in two years. And then I moved to Vermont. I followed Anne when she, after she said, yes, it didn't take me more than a couple of months to, to move over here and, and uh, move into an apartment with her. So. So Doug, you had all that practical experience and you know, kind of can really see the roots of your career um, from your from your childhood, um, you know, including all of your experience with with church and and just seeing this profession of mixing all those practical arts with the arts of architecture, lighting, structure, all of that together. When we were discussing this the other day, um, I uh, somehow you came to a story about uh, at one of the youth group gatherings, you had your palm read. Right. Can you share that story with us? Yeah, um, this was in Roxbury. Um, the Baptist Church in Roxbury had uh, as one of their themes, they had a huge gymnasium attached to their church. And I, I think it was the Saturday event was um, it there was something we went out to the city and then we came back and there were, it was like a, a fair inside and all these booths. And one of the booths was one of the local palm readers. And um, it was, it was sort of under the idea of exploring other faiths kind of notion. Um, so the, the palm reader looked at my hand and said, boy, your lifeline's all broken up. You're going to have a lot of different jobs, a lot of different careers. And, um, so I, I, in retrospect, I think about that a lot. And um, as an architect, every, every time I, uh, you know, I get another job, it's basically starting fresh. You, you're learning everything about that group, whether it's a, a couple or you're designing a house for or a school that you're working with a school board or factory and you're learning about how that process works Oh, Doug, uh, either we're losing my signal. Or... All right. Is anyone else hearing me all right? Yep. There we, I okay. can hear you now. Yeah. yeah. Everyone else was still waving. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, that, so, yeah. so since it's recorded here, I mean, what you were saying is that your the lifeline showed many careers. Many careers, right. And so as an architect, those careers are really all the different types of jobs that I do. And um, each one is a, you know, a start and a stop and, and a learning, uh, a learning curve, um, learning opportunity to, to learn about 
the people, about what they do for work, what their what that project uh, needs in order to be successful. I mean, to uh, me, one of what I hear yeah. and see in you is you're a very collaborative person and you're a strong leader. You're you're calm in challenging situations. And um, that idea that you would take this palm reading and change it into, well, I'm gonna take the best thing out of that story <laughs> to make it be about this, this about work that I'm doing <laughs> so that you're really, you know, you're really part of that new team who, you know, and with each um, building project. Um, Doug, you've, you've definitely had some, 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 you know, real blessings in your family and you've had some real loss. Um, mm-hmm. Can you, 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 when we were discussing it before, you talked about your mom mm-hmm. being ill and, um, but at the end of her life that you felt a real closeness with her. Yeah, a closeness with her and a, and a closeness with um, with God. Um, you know, my mom had multiple myeloma and had gone through a, uh, a, a treatment that was an experimental treatment that actually worked really well. But because it was an experimental treatment and the FDI, FDA had not approved it by the time her remission ceased um she couldn't do it again um and so uh, went back to the standard treatments for for the multiple myeloma and and so the the first after the first episode she had three years where she actually improved and was doing pretty well and then it came back and it was a pretty um quick decline and at the end um she was in the hospital in boston and um we were sort of taking turns going in and, and visiting and sitting with her and singing hymns and, um, you know, singing the, singing the songs that we all knew growing up, which turned out to be mostly hymns. And uh, the morning that she passed away, Ann and I uh, went into the hospital and uh, before everyone else, I, you know, we were the first ones there in the morning. And, uh, we walked in and it was a beautiful day. The um, you know, the hospital she was in um, looked out over Boston Harbor, and um, and we could see that uh, it was kind of a cloudy gray day. And but it, you could see out into the harbor with all the you know what the misty clouds are. And um, we realized that uh, I think it was a Sunday morning and. Um, and said, uh, why don't I go down to the chapel and, and grab a hymnal and a Bible? And um, after we'd, we'd been in the room for a few minutes, and as Anne left the room, um, my mother went with her, is all I can say. Um, all of a sudden, there was this sort of a glow. The room just really lit up. And um, when I turned to look out the window, the sun hadn't come out. Um, and and that glow followed Anne out, out of the room. And uh, a few minutes later, the doctor came in be- with the, the morning um, student entourage for their morning rounds. And uh, I, was, I was elated at that moment, um, having experienced that, you know, my mother's passing in that way. Um, you know, she's, she'd stopped breathing, the, the beep stopped, 
you know, all that, it just ended um, sort of in a, a very beautiful way. But um, it was, uh, you know, and then you know, I was describing that to the doctor and, and all these med students and um, there were looks of disbelief and concern and awe among them all. There were probably six or eight of them in the room. And then Anne showed up and, you know, with the books and, and uh, the doctor excused them all and, and left us together. Um, but it, it was that, you know, that moment of, of sort of awe and fear and disbelief in my own self that, um, that it was happening that, um, mm -hmm that really sort of told me that something else happens. You know, it's not just us and our corporeal bodies here. There's something else going on. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I didn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. I just felt the presence of that light around me. So um, that was that was an interesting event. I, I was also, um, my sister passed away a few years later of, uh, stomach cancer and she was a, uh, actually uterine cancer, sorry. Um, but she was a pediatrician and had thought that um, her stomach aches were, you know, ulcers or something like that. And it turned out it was uterine cancer. And and by the time they, they really diagnosed it, it had metastasized into a lot of other organs. So she really didn't have much of a chance. Um, and her, my sister's goal was to live long enough to see her youngest son graduate from high school. And she succeeded in that and uh, almost saw her older son graduate from college a year later, but didn't quite make that. And uh, it was, uh, you know, so there's been a lot of, a lot of times um, in my life holding people's hands. Lucy, I was thinking about this uh, this week the first time I did it was actually um, our family dog. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I was the one who came home from school and sat with the dog for several weeks while she gradually withered away in the basement and couldn't really do much. <laughs> so mm -hmm. so I, I'm the one in the family who's, who had all that experience. And maybe that's why I felt like I could be the one to, to be there for, for my sister and my mother. It, it's such a, I mean, the, the word that comes to mind is the beauty in the story that you're telling and the, the closeness and the connection and the awe mm -hmm. and, the, and the reality. Yeah. Um, I mean, you learn the reality from losing a dog. Mm -hmm. You know, anybody who's had a pet, pet grief is just yep. like pours out of you, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And so you know the reality, but there, there you are, you know, with your with your sister and your mother. When you were reflecting about your sister's death, and you know, of course, so tough. You know, she she was a widow, and mm -hmm. their children, and right. Um, one of the things you talked about was how your family came together at that point, and I, I think it's a good lesson. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. My my this my sister who passed away was a twin and her twin lived in ohio and then the, my other sister who's in between our ages uh lives close by in massachusetts and 
and we were all able to to be together. Um, we all sort of gathered when when uh, Laura, who's the sister who passed away, when her husband died. Um, they actually they were on vacation in New Hampshire, and um, and my mother was still alive actually at that point too, and. Um, Right after she called the ambulance, my, her, her husband dropped dead of a brain aneurysm in the middle of the night um, while in this vacation condo. And she came down in the morning and found him on the kitchen floor, called the ambulance, and then called me. And uh, and I, you know, made the calls within three or four hours. The whole family was there. Even my sister from Ohio flew in, and and uh, and we just spent the next few days so they had the whole place for a week so we decided it was better to just sort of be there with her kids and and laura in this in this place that um you know in the new hampshire mountains went for hikes um and you know sort of work through the grief and the and where to go from here with her um and you know holding her hand and and holding each other and and it was a it was a really good way for us to help her feel supported just by everybody gathering for those three or four days and um, and I think that um, you know I I don't know whether if she'd called one of the other folks whether we would have all jumped in the same way or whether it's because I got the call first I don't know it's interesting when when the twins were born uh, my parents came home and and said and and had names and my sister beth and i were told okay you guys each choose a name and this will be your twin that you'll need to help take care of and uh, i chose martha and my sister beth chose laura and um martha was the youngest by two minutes but for some reason laura and i had a pretty good relationship um, in spite of that you know my twin your twin kind of thing and uh, and she felt I was the one she could call at that time so I felt I needed to be there for her Doug thank you thank you for sharing that you know it's just really personal story but I think we can all learn from each other's grief and um, just the the story that your family came together at a time of grief grief both emotionally and physically um, just is just really important um, for people to know that at a, at a time of crisis relationships can really uh, be strengthened and i think i think all of that really helped um, when our son nicholas ended up in the hospital with a brain tumor um, it was the same kind of thing with a family gathered for Nicholas too, uh, in a very similar way. Um, and I think it, it's, you know, that, that building family support, it, it, it just sort of feels like it's important that everybody is supported that way. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, you've certainly helped to build a church community. You played a really strong part in that, um, to build, uh, there's so many ways that I see our church community being resilient. I think the last year has really showed that to us. I mean, here you and Anne have so uh, loved that space 
<laughs> and put so much effort into the, into that space. Um, but I, you are as equally tied to people and the and the connections that have really supported um, people through this year. Um, and you're you're serving on our trustees. You're on the music search committee. These are things people can ask you about and talk to you about as we're having more opportunities. You know, hopefully soon. The, um, you know, hopefully in the summer we'll start doing some gathering. I hope so. <laughs> but, you know, certainly in, in conversation, there's there's a lot happening. I want to make sure that um, people have a chance to ask you questions or, or make a comment. Um, I just want to say, Doug, so many stories over the years. Doug, Doug knows he was on my short list. <laughs> of people to be a part of so many YETS trips and um, to just have you part of that team, you know, all of your skills are one thing, but your the way you're able to be calm in a crowd, I mean, you, you are a, um, that a con consistent calm presence um, with a lot of smarts and it's just been wonderful to, to know you and to, to see you at work in so many, in so many good ways. I learned early not to fly off the handle. <laughs> <laughs> so I just invite if anybody has a question or a comment to uh, raise your hand. Hi, Libby. Faith, <laughs> <laughs> hey, you have to unmute yourself. Are you on? Have you unmuted me? You're good. <laughs> <laughs> this is Faith Neal, Doug. Yeah. Hi, Faith. He helped us move in here which oh, we right. so appreciate. Um, the moment when you saw the glow and your mom walking out with Anne, did that strengthen your faith? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. Yeah, it was, um, as I said, you know, it was, it was sort of awesome. Uh, I, I didn't know what was happening, but it was the only thing, only way I could describe the fact that Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't say walking. She she went out through the ceiling. Yeah, <laughs> right. Flying. <laughs> it was. Um, I find those sacred moments, yeah. which I have had with my father. Mm. Yeah. Yes, it was definitely. A, a, I I felt closer to her at the same time as she was leaving. It was. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I felt honored that I was the one. It almost felt like she waited until we were there to, right, to pass away. Yeah. Anybody else have something to say or a question? Thea, you have to unmute yourself. There you go. Getting to be an old hand at these Zoom meetings, I'll tell Good. you. Got the procedure down. <laughs> Yeah, I just wanted to say thank you to both of you for sharing. Lucy, for bringing out all the wonderful parts of his life so gently and tying a lot of it together. And, and I've always appreciated Doug and we go way back and various uh, committees and, and um, interactions. And so uh, I do appreciate his presence and Anne's in the church so much and mm -hmm. what to say thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Tia. They, they are two true pillars. Any, anybody else have anything that they want to say? I um, I'd asked Doug when we were getting ready. I said, you know, 
there was this person who gave me some very specific advice when I was like early on in high school. And that was don't marry somebody in the same profession. Don't do that. It was like really specific. Don't do that. So Doug and Doug not only married another architect, but they started, uh, you know, it, working in the same firm together. And uh, I, could you just share your response to the person who gave me all that advice? What's that been like for you? <laughs> um, well, I think they just they hadn't met the right person. I don't know. The, um, <laughs> uh, Anne and I have, you know, I think from the moment we first started to hang out together, we sort of became best friends before anything else and it stayed that way. Um, we didn't always work together. What, what, ha what we discovered though, when we did end up starting a firm together was that uh, we, didn't, we don't talk about work so much at home anymore. Um, now we're free to talk about all those other things that, that happen in our lives. And, uh, and I think that's, uh, you know, Part of it, I think also, there are a lot of architects who are married couples mm -hmm. and work together. And I, I think part of it is because of the profession is so sort of spread in different directions and, and the work you do is, is, you know, you're always learning from, um, always learning new things. I think that's part of it is um, because then your relationship is actually the stable thing in your life as opposed to your job being the stable thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, to, you to um, way to look at it. Yeah, and I, I just I thought it was great because you said, well, we had more time because we weren't talking about work at home. So right. um, there's a grateful community in Chittenden County around you <laughs> at the Lyric Theater and at First Congregational Church, and I'm sure in other in other aspects of your world, yeah. where you, the two of you have have really just so engaged in the community to to make the world a better place here. So I want to tell a, a very brief small world story that happened this week. Mm -hmm. uh, I got a call uh, last week from two different people named Jane for to come and do some work on their houses. And one I went and visited last Friday and the other I visited uh, this week. And um, on the way up, their houses in the islands. And on the way up, I'm thinking, Tranmer, Tranmer, that name's really familiar. I can't figure it out. And I got there and Jane answered the door and we start talking and, and her husband is not home yet. And she says something about, oh, and Bruce will be home in a few minutes. Bruce, Bruce Tranmer, is he a brain surgeon? Yes. Oh, he was Nicholas's brain surgeon. Oh, it's five years ago. Aww. So small world here in Burlington. Um, and we hit it off. Great. Bruce showed up and and I understood his vision for the space, which is different than Jane's vision. And I talked about how both visions might be able to bend this way. And, uh, and so anyway, I think, I think we hit it off. We'll see if they hire me, but. Was, well, did, as long as you didn't say, you know, this isn't brain surgery. <laughs> no, I did not use that line. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to close with it. Just a short, very favorite uh, passage from the Bible. And I do think it's reflective of who you are and the many ways that you've served others and, and just about who you are, Doug. And this is the infamous quote, the famous quote from Micah 
And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Thank you all for being here for Spirit Seekers. We're going to take a two-week break and we'll be back April 16th with Lois Farnham. The following week, Laura Elder Connors and the week after that, Steve Hyde. So thank you all so very much. And I just submitted four or five of the last podcasts for editing. So the podcast should be updated next week. Thank you all so much. God bless you. Thank you, Doug.